millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Did you know, on average, heating your home makes up 82% of your energy bill? Installing a smart thermostat could save you a lot of money and be good for the planet. Honeywell Home have been making the home smarter and more comfortable for over a hundred years, and their trusted smart thermostats help you get control wherever you are. And because they work with Google and Alexa, you can simply change the heating with your voice. Installing a smart thermostat doesn't have to be confusing or time-consuming, so why not visit getconnected.honeywellhome.com to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Pocket Podcast, sponsored by Honeywell Home by Residio, making the smart home simpler. It's game on. That's right. EE is no longer the only 5G kid on the block in the UK. And that means there is now some healthy competition and more choice in handsets with both 3 detailing more 5G plans and Vodafone launching its 5G service in the UK this week. Rick has joined us uh, fresh from the 3 launch to explain what's happening and what we can expect. And later on in the podcast, I talked to the developer, a clever Apple Watch app that allows you to track your tennis shots on court. Handy if you're getting all very excited about Wimbledon at the moment. After that, we've got PocketLink contributing editor Adrian telling us his top three robot vacuum cleaners if you want to clean carpets without having to really do anything. Now that sounds like a perfect dream. So Rick, tell me more about 5G and the plans Vodafone and 3 have in store for us over the coming weeks and months ahead. It's been a massive uh, week for 5G in the UK in the respect that uh, we already had EE launch a few weeks back, but now we've got Vodafone joining the party with its um, fantastic launch event with Lewis Hamilton pressing a probably fake button to switch on their (laughs) network. Um, They're now live in seven cities across the UK and um, have a couple of handsets already available, plus lots of other plans and um, some home broadband schemes too, which also applies to three. Three also had an event, although its plans aren't to launch that soon. It's coming out first in August, but mobile-wise won't even be out until the end, towards the end of the year, because it's actually playing a softly, softly catchy monkey kind of game. And do you think that that approach, so Vodafone is live, EE is live. I think everybody's trying to not make sure, not make sure, to make sure that uh, EE doesn't get the same year advantage that it had with the launch of 4G, which then was very hard to catch up to a long time. Talk to us more about the three stuff. So they're kind of not going for a big 5G everywhere kind of approach in the same way of Vodafone and EE. Is that right? Um, they will by the end of the year because um, I think it's uh, they'll be live in 20 cities, in fact, by the end of 2019. But... Um, initially they're only launching a home broadband scheme now the the philosophy that they told me about is to actually make sure that the technology is stable and ready before launching not just rush it just to get be the first out of the blocks um because ultimately a customer's a user's experience of it 
their first ever time they use it, that will that will remain with them. That will be a lasting memory. So if you switch on your phone and you're only getting the same speeds as you would normally get on 4G because the signal's not strong enough or you're not in the right area or, you know, there's not enough masts anywhere near you, then you might be swayed into thinking that 5G was actually a, a not as not as promising as people make out. Um, so three thinks that it's it's a better game for itself to wait first to launch it as a home broadband service in London alone, um, so that it can be basically it will offer speeds that replace fiber optic cabling, and essentially grow its service into a bigger, better, faster service rather than just jump out initially just so it can put five G on the map. That said, Net Vodafone's um, and launch has actually been very impressive. It's looked good. The two handsets are excellent handsets in the Samsung Galaxy S10 5G and the Xiaomi Mi Mix 3. Um, both handsets are excellent. I think Vodafone has done it in the right way. It's already already got enough masks. It's in seven cities. Um, so it's hard to say that they've jumped the gun. But you can tell that 5G probably won't be the best service until next year anyway. Yeah, and I think that's one of the the problems here, isn't it? Is that we've gone live, we've got a number of handsets. You have to start somewhere. Everybody understands that. But it seems to still be this elephant in the room, which is that Apple, one of the big players for a lot of people, don't have a 5G device, have no announcement plans for a 5G device. Do you think that will hold back the adoption of 5G? Or do you think as an Android-only opportunity at the moment it doesn't matter we're in a very different world and we can just you know it will grow very quickly and come come mwc next year you'll see everything is 5g automatically without even thinking about it i think actually um apple will suffer a little um i do think some people will decamp just to be first first with a 5g handset but ultimately 5g won't be ready until apple is ready anyway not as a not as a really good service that people will get the most from. Um, we're talking about ultimately you'll be getting one gigabit per second speeds on your phone, and incredible, um, incredibly low latency, so you can game on it um, without any kind of barriers that mobile networks normally um, have a problem with. So, um, but that's that's right down. That's that's later in the in the plan. That's towards the end of twenty twenty. And by then, I genuinely believe that Apple will be ready to join the market. It's doing that thing where it's happy to play the waiting game and join when it's ready, so that everybody goes, "Wow, look at this new iPhone! It works perfectly." Rather than look at this new iPhone, or I'm not actually getting the speed. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's that looking at all of these, uh, and this is very similar to when we were both covering 4G to begin with. We were both covering 3G. Yes, we're quite old. We've been around for a long time, I suppose, worrying on that factor. But it's that sense of, you know, some of the demos that they're showing. You know, Dan was at the Vodafone launch. He was talking about this, you know, a rugby player tackling a rugby player with a haptic suit in him to make him feel the impact of it. There's, you know, earlier in the year, I drove a truck. A thousand miles away via 5G because of the latency. I know there's some stuff at Goodwood Festival Speed showcasing things like that as well. So I think it's it's interesting trying to see what they're what companies are trying to showcase of how this is rather than just this is super fast. And do you think that will therefore, if three are going down this, we're faster than everybody? Will that matter? It, it, that particularly won't matter. I don't think. I think it'd be about stability more than speed. Um, 
and and the ease of use and the cost. And that's actually what has impressed me so far by both EE and Vodafone is that the cost, we all expected that to be a massive premium on top of 4G plans, and they're not. Um, you know, on the Vodafone networks, you can you can get a um, one of their um, data plans, which is totally unlimited from just 30 quid for a 5G connection. And that's really impressive. That's, I mean, that's pretty cool. I think that's probably cheaper than my my 4G connection at the moment. So cool. Well, thank you very much for walking us through that, Rick. And uh, probably the, the, the underlying thing is scream if you want to go faster. Still to come, Adrian talks us through the best robotic vacuum cleaners on the market today. We're sending them out on a daily basis clean and they're still picking up a lot of dirt and that's one of the tests that I use to see how often am I emptying those robots and if it's daily or bi-daily then that seems to be a good uh, indication of performance. It's Wimbledon fortnight and we've already seen some upsets at the All England Lawn Tennis and Croquet Club. Ahead of the annual tennis tournament I met up with Swapnil Sahai at the Hurlingham Club just down the road in Fulham to talk to him about his new Apple Watch app that allows you to track your tennis shots on court as you play. The California-based developer, who previously worked at Tesla, has already garnered a lot of interest with former number one tennis star Andy Roddick among the backers of his new venture. But can machine learning and technology help us become better players? I put that and other questions to Sunhai as the tennis and the drinks flowed in the background. What made you come up with the idea in the first place? Yeah, so back when I was uh, in grad school at Columbia, I... Um, had this idea that I wanted to track my performance like the professionals and there was no way to you know, capture my data like that and so when the Apple Watch came out I realized that having a device on your wrist could be kind of the perfect solution to gather that data and that's what inspired us to create the first version of Swing. And so the app, the app on the watch collects just the fact that you've hit the ball what is it what is it what does it actually collect? Yeah so the first version um, was centered around score tracking so you could use the touch screen and swipe to indicate who won the point and how the point was won. And then over time, we added our own machine learning models onto the watch to process the wrist motion and actually analyze your swing. Um, and so now it also does kind of shot tracking and swing analysis as well. So it can determine whether I've hit it with the top, with yeah. forehand, with backhand, overhead smash, long. Correct. It can kind of work all that out. Yeah, so and shot So track. how do you, that sounds very clever. And I know there's lots of sensors in the Apple Watch you know, whenever we go to an Apple conference, they're always like, there's all these sensors, etc. Mm -hmm. So where do you even start with trying to understand whether I've, you know, done a drop shot of the net right. or whether I've kind of standing at the back of back of the court, smashing it down? You know, how, how, where does that go from? Yeah, I mean, you know, neural networks have advanced uh, to a state where you really just need to try to get a good diversity of data from different players. And so that's what we did. We went out and collected data from many different types of players, advanced players, beginners, you know, casual players, and got all kinds of shot types, you know, forehands, backhands, smashes, drop shots, volleys. Um, and so we've collected so many diverse examples and um, we've essentially taught our neural network to understand what a forehand looks like, what does a backhand look like in terms of the sensor data. And then that's just sort of one big algorithm that yeah, it's just all one algorithm. Just a, an algorithm, a couple of, you know, bit of pure maths and off we go. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and so do you find, you talked about machine learning, does that, how's that then played into, how does that help? Is it something that you could have, it's making the app more intelligent or could you just do it by algorithms created by humans? Yeah, I mean, 
part of the machine learning part is that you're replacing what maybe a human would do, but it'd be very tedious to do, you know? So a coach could sit there and count all the shots that you're hitting and write this down, but it's very tedious to do that and expensive. And so having an algorithm do that um, can be less error prone and much cheaper is kind of the main difference there. And is that, you take the machine learning, that obviously then works out from the watch. Does, does that then, do you have to have the phone as well? Does that relay back? Yeah, so it's all synced after, so you can actually play without the phone even there on the court. Um, but afterwards on the phone, we process all the data from your match, including like how you won every point, what shots you were hitting. And based on that, we can make recommendations and understand which parts of your game you need to improve. And that's really where the magic comes in because you kind of combine all this, digest it down into something simple and actionable. And do you find that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, talking to the guys from home court. They create a basketball uh, tracking app and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Obviously, you talk to anybody that plays golf, there are lots of sort of swing trackers and things like that. Do you, yeah. do you see, as someone that's created a, a performance enhancing, so to speak, coaching app, do you, do you see that's where, is that the future of, 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 of sport, that we need devices like our watches and, and phones to, to help us improve? Yes, I think so. I mean, especially with artificial intelligence, that's kind of the future of sports training. I think that's the best way to make training accessible to everybody. Not everybody can afford to take a private coach every single time they play. And so having this little artificial intelligence uh, you know, device in your pocket or on your wrist is kind of the best way to have you know, training whenever you need it um, at a much lower cost. And where do you see it going next? Are you hoping that the next iteration of the Apple Watch will have even more sensors to take advantage of? Or do you, is there another avenue that you're looking into? Yeah, I mean, definitely we're really excited about the future of, of the watch and especially around health and fitness. And, you know, we want to do things like understand how does playing your tennis, you know, improve, you know, your heart health and things like that. So I think mean, that's definitely an interesting avenue for us. Um, on the phone side, we're really excited about computer vision. So as home court is done with basketball, you know, we have a lot of plans to bring computer vision to tennis, um, analyze not just what type of shots are you hitting, but where is the ball actually landing on the court, getting a better picture of your movement around the court and shot selection. And I mean, this general idea of using computer vision in sports is applicable to, you know, pretty much any ball and racket sport. Um, and so I, I think in five years, we should be seeing this in pretty much all sports. And when you talk, for those with the, the people listening to this don't understand what computer, when you mean by computer vision, yeah. what, what do you, how, can you explain a bit more about that? Yeah, so, I mean, when I say computer vision, I basically mean that you can process things from your iPhone camera that normally you would need a human to do, and you can do it at superhuman accuracy. So for example, if, if you're playing a, you know, a tennis match, I can show you exactly where all of your balls landed on the court. And so you could have a human sit there and write it down, and maybe they'd guess at it, but this algorithm is going to be a lot more accurate. And so basically anything a human can see, um, these algorithms should be able to see that and more. So kind of like a, for people that do watch tennis or cricket, kind of like a Hawkeye, yep. but powered from, from your phone, watching the court as long as you put it in the right place. Exactly, yeah, you just set it up on a tripod behind you and you can see the same kinds of things that Hawkeye could see, but just using your smartphone. And have you, with part of that, because that's, again, I'm sure lots of people would be interested in it, how have you, how have you gone about doing that? Have you just got friends to run around a court and track how they move, or have you got you know, professional tennis players involved? Or 
Yeah. So it? it's a little bit of both. Um, we do have some professional tennis players involved. So Andy Roddick and James Blake um, have invested in the company and are our advisors. And so, you know, they've helped us collect data and give us product suggestions. But I mean, we really want this to work for everybody, right? So we're not just targeting professional players. So we have gone out and collected data from just casual people who hit on the weekends or people who just play tennis for fitness purposes. We're really trying to get the whole market of everybody who plays tennis, regardless of your level. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of how we've gone about it. Um, and I previously worked at Tesla, so I was working on similar things where I was building a computer vision for their self-driving system, for their autopilot. You worked at Tesla on, on computer vision as well. So tennis and Tesla, they might both begin with T, but they're obviously very different things. Right. How, is, it, is it as simple as just the same kind of approach or, or do you have to come at it at a very different angle? Yeah, I mean, it, it's similar because I specifically, when I was at Tesla, was working on 3D object tracking. So I was tracking the pedestrians and the cars that are you know, around you, making sure you don't collide with them. And so it's a similar problem where here, instead of tracking cars, you're tracking the ball and you're tracking the players. So fundamentally, from a computer vision standpoint, it's very similar. But obviously, the way that you collect data has to be different. And the problem has its own challenges because the ball is very tiny, um, you know, things like that. And do you think you could, this obviously with tennis, there are obviously lots of other racket sports. Is yeah. there the goal to eventually sort of move into squash or Yeah, definitely, things? for sure. Yeah, so I mean, we definitely want to get to squash, table tennis, badminton. We already have uh, many of our users today already play those other sports and they're constantly asking us to come to those sports. So that's definitely in the pipeline. Vacuum cleaning is one of those chores that we all know we have to do at some point, but it's not exactly top of our list, is it? Well, technology is changing all that. Robot vacuum cleaners aren't new, but in recent months we've seen huge advances that mean they are cheaper than ever before, and therefore worth considering. But what's on offer? Which one should you buy? And are there any new things to think about on the cleaning horizon? To walk us through all the choices available, I'm joined by PocketLink contributing editor Adrian Willings, who is here to give us his top three robot vacuum cleaner choices for anyone keen to make their house clean while not actually being at home. Adrian's tested virtually every robot cleaner going, and these are his top three robot vacuum cleaners to buy right now. So Adrian, who's got bronze? Uh, I think the bronze would probably go to Samsung for the VR7000 PowerBot. Uh, there's several reasons for this. The first is I really like the design because it stands out from the rest. A lot of them are, are round, whereas the Samsung has this front face that's quite flat, which means when it's cleaning, it can get right up to the edge of the room and clean up to the skirting boards or to the sideboards, whatever else you've got going on there, which meant when I was using it in the home, it got a lot cleaner around the edges and it seemed to perform a lot better in terms of general cleaning. It also has a cyclone force technology designed to which basically is the suction system that means it seemed to pick up a lot more dirt than many of the others it is however quite expensive it's around 500 pounds at the moment so it's quite a lot of money but you do get a lot of features for that and that it um, works with google home uh, amazon echo devices and samsung's bixby smart assistant as well so there's a lot of features in there that are really cool the other thing Simple design to it that I really liked is the the bin itself is see-through, so you can see how much dirt is picked up without having to empty the bin to have a look at it. So you can see at a glance how much dirt is in there. And we found we were regularly emptying that when it had been around the house as well, which is a sign of how well it performs. Or just how dirty your house is. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing with all of these bots, actually. They do pick up a surprising amount of dirt, which does make you feel like you're a constant slob and 
not cleaning as much as you should do and sending them out on a daily basis to clean and they're still picking up a lot of dirt and that's one of the tests that I use to see how often am I emptying those robots and if it's daily or bi-daily then that seems to be a good uh, indication of performance because they're picking up the same amount as other ones and this one seemed to be emptying a lot more than some of the others which is an indication of suction power but also just how it gets around the house and how well it cleans. So yeah, Samsung is definitely the third one for me. Simply, I think I'm in third position simply because of the price, because it is quite expensive, but it's not the most expensive by any means. And so number two, the silver medal goes to? Uh, that would be the Roborock Jawa E2 or E25, depending on what color model you're buying. And uh, that is because this is probably the best value for money cleaner I've seen. It's feature packed and probably a lot more affordable than many of the other ones I've looked at. But it also is surprising in that it's not a name you'd necessarily know. And Roborock have got a number of Robo vacuum cleaners, but they're not necessarily a big brand. Um, but they still deliver really surprising performance. Again, this is another one that picks up a lot of dirt, but it, for me, it's the value for money that you get from this robot vacuum cleaner and also the design facets of it which i'll discuss when i talk about uh, number one because it's also a robo rock but the way it cleans itself so it has a simple features like a dual action brush which is basically a main brush system that has rubber fins as well as bristles so it can clean on both hard floors and carpets with ease going between the two uh, it has a decent sized bin to it that I was emptying on a bi-daily basis. So every other day I had to empty that out and clean it. But it also has things, simple things like washable filters. So uh, a lot of robot vacuum cleaners, you buy them, you use them for a while, then you have to pay to buy new filters to filter out the dust and pollen, whatever else that they're picking up. With this one, you don't have to do that as often because you can wash the filters, which is something a lot of the other manufacturers don't do. So it's the really simple design features of a reasonably priced robot vacuum cleaner that'll make this one worthwhile. So you've slightly alluded to this, but if you're about to go and buy a robot vacuum cleaner, which one should you buy today? So my current favourite is the Roborock S6, which we've had in recently, and it is a brand new device. And the reason I like this is similar reasons to the Jawa, except this is the sort of flagship from Roborock. So it has a lot of really cool functionality to it in terms of an intelligent mapping system that works on your phone that shows you what the house is like as the robot's going around. So it will scan your house every time it goes out and it shows you where it's been on the map, but also allows you to do clever things like setting individual rooms for it to go and clean. And also you can set timers on that so you can tell it what rooms to clean and at what time and you can track where it's been and where it's had problems and things like that. Very clever design in that way. But it also is the little small features that I was mentioning on the other one. So a simple thing like the inclusion of a brush that's contained within the robot itself that you can detach and use to clean the robot. So it has a little blade on it that you can use to cut hair and fibers that get caught on the main brush and you can clean out the, the um, dust tray and things like that. So you can keep it clean because obviously keeping the robot itself clean is an important part of making sure it works and functions efficiently. So it's the little design traits like that that make it really neat. Inside, it also has some built-in bristles that brush against the main brush as it's brushing itself. So they'll clean off the main brush and it's basically self-cleaning. It keeps itself really clean. It also pushes 
hair and fibers that get caught on the main brush to the very edges and to the tips of the brush. So you can take that brush out, remove the ends that hold it in place, and then just pull the, the loose hair off. So you don't end up spending all your time trying to clean this brush to keep it in tip-top shape because it's automatically cleaning itself. It also has a, a mopping system where you attach a small reservoir and put it on the bottom of the robot vacuum cleaner and then let it loose on your hard floors and it'll go around and give the floors a cursory mop. And that's the thing with all these robot vacuum cleaners is that they're designed to be a sort of cursory clean of your house on a regular basis. They're not designed to replace full-sized heavy-duty vacuum cleaners, but they do do such a good job that you'll find you're vacuuming a lot less, which is brilliant for us because, you know, with a busy family household, you get so much dirt traipsed through the house and having to do boring chores like that is just takes up extra time that you could be spent playing with the kids or whatever. Um, so having a, a high-end robot vacuum cleaner that's going out and doing it for you is, is wonderful. And you can, uh, so much flexibility in terms of being able to send it out from the smartphone app or just a press on the button on the machine to just get it out and going out as often as you want. It's just wonderful. It's a wonderful addition to the home and it makes life a lot easier. Well, that's it for this week's show. New episodes of the Pocket podcast will arrive every Friday with more news, interviews and buying guides for you to enjoy. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please let your friends and colleagues know. And please rate us on a podcast platform you're listening on. It really will help others know you like it too. Until next Friday, pip pip. <laughs>